Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step -step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Here's a question we got to ask ourselves. Do we want to prolong this thing? And there has to be a mechanism at some point, because if there's never any kind of pressure, a dog has the ability to do something or not do something. What mechanism are we going to use if he refuses? If you're testing, we don't have a mechanism in place to say, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. Why is it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side -side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wood on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. Last fall, I made the change to a finalized Summit System vest and was blown away with not only the customization and durability, but the overall functionality. I can honestly say my setup directly impacted how many miles I covered because the design eliminates shoulder fatigue and discomfort while still providing the perfect amount of storage. I appreciate the waist belt design so much that in the training season I removed the straps and swapped the game bag out for the sidekick system game bag, and I now have the perfect training belt set up for the long and hot training season. Go to FinalRise.com and check out all the available options that are all sourced and sewn right here in the USA. Alright everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY. This week we have part three of our Force Fetch series with Kyle Huff of Schwartzwald Kennels. Kyle, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Yeah, so we are here today to talk about pressures because force fetch, you know, people pretty much associate force fetch with probably the ear pinch is the most common one. Then there's the toe hitch and e-collars. And then there's some people that swear by no pressure at all. So we're here tonight to really break down the pros and cons of it all. But, you know, Kyle, you you're, you kind of have a reputation to where you're, for better or worse, kind of known as the uh, steadiness guru from uh, my understanding from everybody that kind of works with you. And uh, you're actually going to be one of the trainers up at our GDIY training camp up at Mark and Martha's at early May. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of give you an, a chance to introduce yourself and kind of talk about the operation you run and what people could possibly expect at the training camp if they decide to come. Sure. So um, uh, I believe at the training camp, we're going to focus on uh, steadiness and um, backing. Um, and um, so 
the emphasis that I'm going to go over is how easy it is. And it's just based off of a concept of pressure on pressure off. And, um, not only does it apply to steadiness, but it, um, you can teach a dog to stop without verbal direction. Um, you could keep it, uh, teach a dog to stop completely on its own on the flush of a wild bird and, and how the overlay of seeing a dog on point by using that method teaches them the back rather quickly. So um, that's a little bit of what uh, we would do uh, for our steadiness clinic. For sure. I'm, I'm excited to, to see that because for years now, I've been trying to make it to one of your clinics or one of the, the seminars or, or classes that you put on at a NAVDA chapter, and it just hasn't worked out. I know we talked briefly last year about trying to get you on board at, at the clinic, and uh, it just didn't work out. So I'm, I'm super excited to finally get to see your, your steadiness program in person. Uh, I've heard a lot of good things about it, but uh, yeah, if, if anybody wants more information about the training camp, be sure to reach out to us. But with that being said, you know, we didn't come on this podcast tonight to talk about steadiness. We came here to talk about force fetch. So for those people that don't know you, go ahead and introduce yourself, your, your kennel, what kind of dogs you run and your experience, and then we'll jump right on into the, to the topic. So, um, my kennel is Schwarzwald Kennels. I'm located in Pennsylvania. Um, so the dogs I run are actually all versatiles. Um, I train, um, you know, pretty much all the versatile breeds. Um, you know, I've trained and tested them all the way through the invitational level. Currently I, um, I'm fortunate enough to be able to run four different breeds at the invitational level so far and past four different breeds. Uh, so I'm not limited to one breed that I train. Um, my, my personal dogs are wire hairs. I'm a wire hair breeder and, um, I like wire hairs for the type of hunting I do. I do a lot of versatile hunting, whether it's upland in Montana, pheasant hunting down in South Dakota, switching over to ducks, um, going down South, getting into more ducks, going on the Eastern shore, um, wherever I travel, you know, they seem to be built for whatever we do. Nice. So you definitely have your hands in a lot of pots there. Um, and going back to what you mentioned on steadiness is really it's pressure on pressure off. And that's why you have a, a really good understanding of the right amount of pressure to put on dogs. Uh, you've been doing it for a long time. You have a unique perspective. And that's why I wanted to talk to you to get you on on this episode about pressure. Because as we all know, force fetch uh, there's going to be some sort form of pressure, you know, that that's how we're training these dogs. And so I think a lot of people, especially when first starting out, they're kind of unsure on which form of pressure to go with, not, not even so much how much pressure, but even which type of pressure. So if you're okay with it, I kind of want to go one by one and discuss the pros and cons of it and get your thoughts as somebody who's been doing this for so long and you have such a good understanding of this pressure with the dogs, get your your honest truth or honest outlook in terms of which you think is, is a better fit for most people and, and dogs. Yes. So I guess, is it? would you say, is there anywhere else to start besides the ear pinch? So... Um, the ear pinch is, um, the method I use and, um, we can talk about the other methods. Um, you know, my belief is the ear is most likely the most popular. Um, I believe years ago, um, maybe the toe hitch had more weight than it does today. Um, 
you know, it's actually something that I never see. Um, I know what it is. I've seen it a long time ago, but it's, it's something that lost its traction. And, um, so the ear pinch is, uh, the method I use, um, it's, it's effective. It's, it's similar concept of pressure on pressure off. And, um, you know, I've been doing, uh, ear pinch for more than, you know, 20 years. Uh, so, um, that's not only my personal dogs, but the client dogs that we see through our kennel. Describe to me your method of the ear pinch, because it sounds really simple. Grab, you know, dog gets on the table, you grab the dog, dog's ear and you pinch it, but for, you can get 10 people up the, up on the table that does ear pinch and they do it completely different in, in a lot of ways. It's like, it's subtle differences, but it makes a, a big difference. So well, guide me through your recommended way of doing the ear pinch. So my recommended way is not um, a way that I was taught. So my recommended way is a way that I figured, uh, um, I figured out a way that uh, dogs of different breeds all could gather the information, how I was doing my force fetch program quickly without confusion. So that when I got to the force fetch, um, you know, and, and this, you know, this is something I'm doing right now where I have people who have puppies through us that are at a year of age. They've come by the kennel. Um, obviously, they've never done it before. They've done it one time. You map out this program, and it's very easy for somebody to do force fetch. Um, when it, and, and what they're doing and, is you're, you're removing the confusion factor away from a dog where you're doing a repetition, a muscle memory thing over and over and over again so that the dog begins reaching for the items. And when you get to that portion of the, ear, uh, of the force fetch, that's when the dog is not confused and uh, the dog is reaching on its own. That's when you apply pressure. And when you apply pressure, this is where I apl finally apply the ear pinch. And, you know, you hit home run the first time so that it's a memorable experience for them. On average, an ear pinch is one session that I get my pinches over with. And it's three to seven pinches because there's, there's not a lot of drama. We laid out the program. It's built into them. It's like a muscle memory reflex at this point. And by the time I do the ear pinch, they know what I want and they just lunge to pick up the item. You know, um, it could be any, on average, it's usually three to seven pinches. So one of the, one gentleman who was just here this past weekend, actually, he got the result in one pinch. But the idea of doing the force fetch the way I'm going to talk about, it removes a lot of the, uh, the unknown part for a dog where there's a confusion factor. If anything should make anyone shudder is if you hear somebody come in and, you know, they do force fetch and they always talk about dogs biting and you hear that. Well, often a dog is trying to reach to turn off the pressure and the pressure is the hand. They're not intentionally trying to bite. There's a confusion factor there that they're trying to eliminate. It's not like a mean dog. There's very, very few dogs that want to bite somebody. I think there's a lot, there's a lot of good things to, to glean from that. I mean, first and foremost, 
just how little ear pinching you're describing in this. I think it's very important to note, you know, I just did an episode on Holden Carey with Mark Whalen, and he has a, a term that I really like. Uh, people get stuck in this ear pinch purgatory. And a lot of people kind of associate with force fetch. They just think that it's weeks and weeks and weeks of p- applying pressure, whether it's the ear pinch or toe hitch over and over and over again. But something that Mark talked about and you're talking about right now is if you build the foundation up strong enough and slow enough, there's really not that much pressure that goes into it. Not. And when you lay out a program and you do it the right way, you know, when I first started doing uh, force fetch, it was like a, an all summer project or an all winter project. It was you're talking several months, three months anyway. Um, you know, now by, by working with number of dogs through the years, I'm talking in excess of a hundred dogs of force fetch. You figure things out, how to do things better and what, how dogs learn and you eliminate anything that was confusing and you're able to actually get the same result and you know you know now on average i'm force fetching a dog myself in 30 days so you're getting uh, a much better response so and if it's happening on a number of dogs over a period of time it, it tells you you know they're learning it better by doing it a certain way as opposed to you know maybe a way i read out of a book or maybe um some old book that I read some time ago or somebody who, you know, took me to the side at a Navda clinic 20 years ago. Um, there's better ways to go about things. Um, there's always more than one way to skin a cat. And I'm not saying my way is the only way. There's obviously the toe hitch method and other means of doing force fetch. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at something that is is it eliminates confusion and the dog learns quicker and it doesn't have to be as dramatic as it once was when I first started. Well, break down for me the actual application of the ear pinch. You know, which hand are you doing? Are you holding the collar? Are you putting the ear under the collar? Some people use bottle caps. Some people hit a certain spot with their fingernail. You know, kind of talk to me about your actual physical application of the ear pinch so the listeners can kind of hopefully picture this and have a better understanding of what we're talking about. So, yes, I I certainly, but I don't want to lose sight that there's other things leading up before the ear pinch. So the ear, so for me, you know, the ear pinch is a month long. I'm not, I'm sorry. The force fetch is a month long. The ear pinch is one session and that's it Yeah, out of month. So if I do two sessions a day and I do five or six sessions, um, I'm sorry, two sessions a day, but I do, uh, five days a week or six days a week, I'm doing force fetch. Um, we're talking the ear pinch is actually just one session of one of the 30 days. That's it. That's the ear pinch. So I do use the bottle cap. And the reason why is it's a bigger surface area. So when you fold the ear back, I use a Ziploc tie through a bottle cap. It fits right around my finger. I can apply pressure. It's equal pressure. It's not like where I'm using a fingernail, which is sharp. Um, it disperses it in a ring. So I get a lot more pressure without possibly cutting the ear from my fingernail. So I can just press home on that ear and I, it, you're going to receive an immediate response. 
So you're not going to get where you're pushing with a fingernail until it finally hurts, where um, there's a, a delayed response. So this is going to be an instant response. It's going to hit home run and the dog is going to open his mouth and lunge. And it, 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 it's quick. And, you know, typically um, I have, you know, for me, my, my, I fold the ear back over the collar. My hand is under the collar. The collar is tight so that if the dog would turn, your finger doesn't get broken. So you keep it nice and snug, the collar, your hand is under the collar, your thumb is over the ear, which is laid on onto the collar. And you just, uh, on the end of the ear where the V comes together, I'm right in the middle of it. I'm not on the, any of the edges, but I'm in the middle of the flesh part of the ear. Yeah. I'm following. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I did, I did force fetch episodes way back when it's probably been a year and a half two two years ago. It's been a while since we touched on this and I actually had a listener the other day reach out and comment on this. He didn't even know that I was doing this force fetch series. And he said that he thought we were being a little unfair in our comments about the bottle cap because we, you know, to be perfectly honest, a couple of years ago when I first heard it, it was kind of just reactionary, like a bottle cap. You know, why use that on the ear? I'm not going to say that I'm fully on board with using it right now, but it's, you know, his point was exactly what you just said. By utilizing the bottle cap and and spacing out the amount of pressure on it on the ear, you're not just, you're not having to apply as much pressure because you're using the bottle cap as you would with your fingernail. That's correct. You know, it, it displaces it in a larger area and um, you get an immediate response. If you use a fingernail, it's almost like a dull knife blade. So you're pushing and pushing on that ear until eventually you get the response. So it's a much smaller surface area. It's almost like a sharp instrument, you know, coming down on their ear where the bottle cap is displaced in a ring and when you press it you don't have to press nearly as hard and you don't have to keep pressing and pressing and pressing till you get a response you get an immediate response yeah and so again i think it's important to reiterate again that there's so few repetitions in your method with this ear pinch and the bottle cap because you spent so much time building up to it the precursors the foundation you built up to it so much that you don't have to do it hardly at all it's one session maybe just a few reps with it how often would you say that you you surpass you having to use the ear pinch you move on to the next step be it you know going down the table or maybe you get to the ground or something how often does a dog regress to where you have to resort back to applying pressure and kind of back up? Or do you, because of your experience, do you go slow enough to where that rarely ever happens? No, it's a very good question. So there's usually a two week, pri uh, week, two week stint prior to um, the ear pinch where I do carry and hold and I do a different form of pressure. Um, it's not dramatic at all and but the dog um learns what i'm i'm asking to do um with holding objects and we do all types of uh, exercises with the object up and down the ramps we use training tables walk around the room stopping at different places that's where i set up how i wish to have the delivery whether i want the dog at heel or in front of me depending you know most of the dogs that i force fetch are testing so 
you know, depending on what testing system they're running their dogs in. Some people prefer a dog to sit. Some people prefer it to stand at heel. So that stuff is all set up in the two weeks, maybe three weeks for some dogs uh, prior to the ear pinch. So all that stuff is, is, is laid out. Once you get to the ear pinch, you're going to start you know, three to seven times. And I'm already going to be getting them on the table on their next session where they're reaching down to the ground because they picked it up pretty quick to the ground, meaning the flat portion of the table. So there becomes a portion of the force fetch when either on the table, when you're picking up uh, items on the ramp or you're going to the floor that the dog will hesitate. Now, this is where I warn folks. It's easy to apply a lot of pressure right away thinking, God, I am going to discipline because they should know to pick that object up. There's actually a little confusion going on because you did two weeks of exercise of holding the object in front of their mouth. So all of a sudden, the last session, you did the ear pinch and you get them down onto the table. But once you get to the floor, you're going to see a hesitation. This is where I warn folks, don't crank on them. Most of them want to pick it up, but they're unsure. If you crank on them, you're going to cause your force fetch program to delay. And when I mean crank on them, don't pinch them like it was for their first time. Just start going to the ear and apply pressure a little bit, and you'll see they'll happily go pick up the object then. There becomes like a little stutter step that they will have because they're not unsure. Don't, don't come down on them too severely for that. Yeah. And that, that kind of coincides with what Mark was talking about on his episode in, in the hold and carry is, you know, once you start applying pressure, you're not, you're not ever applying the pressure and like dragging the dog down the table or down on the ground or no. anything like that. It's, it, it's more subtle. It's, it, there's more finesse to it. And that's when I go into talking to people that are just doing force fetch for the first time, because let, let's be honest, I've, I've done a couple dogs and I've helped a number of people do it, do it with their dogs. I'm no expert, but what I tell everybody is every time you do this program, you're going to learn it's more about the finesse and the feel of, you know, the pressure, pressure on pressure off, how much to give the dog, how, you know, and every, you, you really can't learn it until you just do it. Right. And that's where the finesse comes into it. Sure. I'm not saying there isn't a point that, uh, you know, hypothetically, some dogs don't like to pick up certain objects. So part of your hold and carry program, you should be using frozen birds. You should be using thought out birds. You should be using training bucks. You should be using, I use a variety of things from a hammer. I use anything. We don't need to go buy everything at the store. I mean, we have plenty th- of things laying around that we can use. I use caulk tubes because they're slippery. <laughs> I use by four block. I use uh, empty box of shotgun shells. I used to use a full box until they fell on the floor and spilled everywhere. <laughs> but you, you can make a PVC pipe, real something real easy, but things that a dog normally wouldn't want to put in its mouth and carry. But by the discipline of this, they understand the relationship you're building here is I'm no longer asking you to do something. You're a year old now or you're growing up. I'm going to be telling you to to do something now so there's a relationship that exists because of this force fetch program absolutely and so back back to the ear pinch would you say so when people are trying to decide which pressure to use you you always hear uh, uh, the same stuff 
primarily, you know, people that are for ear pinch or for toe hitch. Would you say that the biggest pro to the ear pinch is, you know, just the ease of it? You, you always have your hand, you always have your fingers, you may not have the bottle cap on you, but in case you do get into into a corner to where you have to apply pressure with the dog, say you don't have e collar, you're not done all the way, is you always have the capability to apply some pressure if needed. Immediately as needed. You know, so the concern I would have with the toe pitch is it involves a string. So you're putting another device in there. And, you know, for me, I, I personally, I find it more effective is my timing. So if my finger is there, I can turn pressure on, turn pressure off in a millisecond. Um, I don't like the idea of a string pulling a string, which pulls the toe and causes pain. I just find it impractical. For, if you're going to be dealing with uh, a lot of dogs um, and you're doing, you know, you're trying to be um, prompt with your pressure, it just seems, you know, that it's going to be an orthodox by having a string and the timing of everything. So, you know, I, I just, I need to do it fluid and I, I don't know of a better way than my hand. Absolutely. So, and, and then I always, every dog that I force fetch with the ear pinch, you know, we follow up with an e-fetch and e-fetch is really easy. That's just a layover of my fingers on the, 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 um, the ear lays over my button of the transmitter. So I press on the ear, they're feeling the ear, but it's pressing stimulation on the button. And, and I do that as soon as I have them fluid inside where I have them going the length of the room on the inside, we go outside and then I overlay with the electric and that's a lower level and I'll grad gradually build it if I need to, but it doesn't need to be hot. Um, but I can build up what the e-collar is, is a layover of the ear pinch. And I started off by laying the ear over the button of my transmitter and do it that way. The first time somebody showed me that, that little trick with the e-collar, it, it was kind of a game changer in my eyes because when I, when I first overlaid the e-collar on force fetch i was doing it in two separate hands it, the thought never occurred to me to use the ear and the remote in the same hand and it to be perfectly honest it kind of turned into a cluster at, at the start because again back to my point until you do it you really don't learn these little tricks and and, and learn the finesse of it but when somebody showed me that, it was a game changer because it literally is, I mean, by putting the ear over the button on your e-collar, you truly are having perfect timing as far as pressure on, pressure off, and communicating that to the dog while overlaying the e-collar. Yeah, it literally takes a session, maybe two sessions, and the dog gets it quick. So how is that important? You know, that's extremely important because if we shoot a bird in the field, and uh, this is our test day. So our dog runs out to do the retrieve. Um, we want them to come back immediately with the bird, not play around with it. Well, in training, if the dog's playing around with it, how effective are you with your timing? If you have to walk 40 yards to where the bird is laying, grab your dog, pinch its ear, and then force it to the bird. Yes. So it's not nearly as effective as you can verbally say, fetch reinforce it immediately with the e-collar at a proper level and then the dog immediately knows oh he's got my number and he's <laughs> on point quick so you know you kind of put that bad behavior to the wayside in the very beginning program that way it never surfaces in the future 
it becomes a force of habit. This is the way it's done. It's business. Yes. And that's how we do things going forward every day. Absolutely. So again, you know, you keep using the word timing. Would you say just kind of just random question here, would you say force fetch is more about learning the amount of pressure on pressure on pressure off and how much to apply? Or would you say it's timing? I know they kind of go hand in hand, but would you say if you were to focus on one, if this is your first time force fetching, would you say, is it more important to really focus on your timing of commands and, and the pressure on pressure off or the amount of pressure? You know, it's a good question. You know, they do go hand in hand. I think timing is what dogs, the how they learn the best, the quickest, is your timing with things. Now, appropriate amount of pressure is necessary. However, if you're overpressuring a dog, you know, it's counterproductive. So I always tell folks, start off, if you're not sure, start off on the conservative side, light, and gradually go heavy until you get a desired result don't go and create damage by stepping on them way heavy right from the beginning so with the ear pinch um you're not trying to hurt the dog but you're trying i always tell people you got to make it feel very uncomfortable for them not that they're um you know not that they're permanently um afraid of something but you got to make it like there's pressure there to the point where it doesn't feel good. I got to turn this off. And then eventually that turns into them trying to avoid it altogether. So they're just going to knock it out real fast. So the pressure never starts. Yeah. And usually um, that's not the hardest part. You know, people get the ear pink with bottle cap pretty quick. You don't have to, you know, swing a bat and hit a home run. It doesn't take very much pressure with the bottle cap and you're going to get the result. Uh, unlike a fingernail where you got to really dig in. Yeah. So the bottle cap is very effective. I think it's actually more humane. It sounds um, uh, maybe a bit barbaric, but it's actually not because you don't need to put as much pressure because it's displaced on a bigger area. So you get a good result that way. Mostly with the e-collars, what I tell folks, start soft. That's where they seem to miss the the amount of pressure that they put on they want to start too heavy you know if the dog's getting vocal right from the beginning you're way too heavy yeah so you've got to be at a level that the dog needs to turn it off because it's not comfortable anymore that's that looking for and every dog's different you know um you know my wire here is typically you know on a garmin or a tritronics transmitter in the twos on average the short hairs that i have to train um are typically in the threes sometimes even more. So, um, you know, different breeds are different, but each dog is an individual and they should be, you know, treated the same way, you know, that you adjust to them. A hundred percent. So let's, uh, we, we've kind of touched and, and glanced over the toe hitch a, a couple times. Like uh, clearly we know that your preferred method on your end is the ear pinch, but let's, let's describe the toe hitch for the listeners that are brand new to this. Describe to me the toe hitch method in, in terms of they have a better picture of what we're really talking about. So the toe hitch that I'm familiar with is a long string, which is uh, moved by you pulling the string and the string is hooked up to the toe, which bends the toe in an opposite, the toenail, and it bends the toenail in an opposite direction. 
and it causes pain. And so instead of the pain and the pressure being on the ear, it's on the toe. And so to your point, I haven't seen very many people use, use this uh, method, but the few people that I have seen and try it, uh, they swear by it. Uh, from everything I've heard, you know, when it's done right, if you, it's really from my understanding is it's all in the setup with the type of string you use and getting, getting the right thickness or braided line or string to fit around the two toes in the middle. And you're just kind of pinching the two toes in the middle from what I've seen in person and from the benefits that I've heard. And you can tell me if you've heard the same thing is we were just talking earlier about the e-collar and the, and the, uh, on the ear overlaying the, the ear over the e-collar and you're hitting the button and your, your timing is good. From what I'm told from the other people is the timing is even better on the toe hitch if you put the e-collar remote in your hand that you're pulling the string and you're literally just pulling it while pressing the button at the same time and you still have that free hand to do everything that you need to do elsewhere, if that makes sense. I'm not as familiar with it to, to say I experienced that kind of result. So I've seen it and I've seen the moving parts that go along with it and you know, it, it just, you know, I'm a timeliness person where it's pressure on pressure on. And for me, I, I would get a better result from my hand and, um, using a collar, uh, you know, with, with folding the ear and pressure on pressure off, um, which is controlled by my finger, not a string yeah. that's up to the nail. But I, I understand, you know, it's a different way of doing it. It's just not, not common where I'm from. Yeah. And, uh, I've seen it, but I haven't seen it in years. And I, and it used to be, I think a little more common years ago, like I'm going to go back. It, 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 you know, when I first got in 25 years ago, it was more common than today. Cause, um, I haven't heard of, you know, the, the, um, toe pinch for, or toe hitch rather. I haven't heard of that. God, I haven't heard that term in a year or two. The thing that I used to, honestly that deterred me away from the the ear or the toe hitch and it's exactly what you're talking about just the setup and breakdown is adding another another object to it the string and everything uh but the way i used to look at it is i didn't want to have to carry a string with me potentially out in the field or have to mess with the toe if i needed to apply pressure out in the field maybe i didn't have the e-collar overlaid yet the more I've come to kind of understand the force fetch program and doing the steps slowly and methodically and, and efficiently, kind of like what you're saying on the ear pinch, the pressure shouldn't really be there that often. So if you do it right, you shouldn't have to worry about applying or potentially applying the toe hitch in the field, if that makes sense. Would you say that's kind of a fair assessment of how I kind of kind of yeah. grew and and how i understood this program you know yes and i you know i understand if they use it inside and you know they're successful with it great um eventually they i'm assuming they're going to be overlaying it with an e-collar anyhow by the time they get to the field and they don't have to carry a string um you know that's that's you know the way it would be done with the ear pinch and that's what i would suggest yeah so Let's move on to, is there any other program or, or type of actual pressure that you're familiar with first before we move on to the no pressure at all system? For the uh, force fetch program? Yeah. Are you aware of anything else besides the toe hitch and ear pinch? 
you know, I'm not what I'm very familiar with myself. And this is just me is the ear pinch with the layover to the e collar yep. and being able to, um, drive a dog that way. You know, we do piles and, um, you know, all part of our program and, um, you know, it works. It's very effective. Um, you know, the toe hitch, if done right, could be very effective, especially with they laid over to the e-collar. Yeah. That way, when they're in the field, um, you know, it's it's the same concept, pressure on, pressure off. Um, the e-collar is definitely an advantage when you're outside and you're in the field. Yeah. Well, let's stick with the e-collar before we move on to the no pressure. Uh, it seems like I'm coming across or hearing more often people that skip the ear pinch and toe hitch altogether, and they just start with the e-collar. What are your mm -hmm. thoughts on just starting with the e-collar for the pressure? So I've tried that and I've only tried that with my personal dog. And I had a confusion factor that went on in the dog's head for a longer period of time that I felt comfortable with. We got through it and we got the results that I always wanted. However, I did not like the confusion factor my dog went through. Um, I think the way that I do ear pinch and prior to with all the holding carries I do and the way that I do it, there's no confusion. They almost get bored with it. And you could see their body language like, I'm doing it because you're making me happy because it makes you happy. You give me lots of praise to do it. I know what you want. It's such a routine. We get up on the table. I heal with you. I walk down the table, you hold the object in my face, you in front of my face, you say fetch, I start reaching for it, I got to hold it properly, you give me praise, we go up and down the table, come around, and wherever you stop, I either sit or stand to present it to you. So with the e-collar, there wasn't the same you know, relationship where it was like there was a longer period of confusion, and I did not like that. So I think on average... From my experience, the dogs seem to get it without confusion the way that I do force fetch um, leading up to the ear pinch as opposed to just going straight to an e-collar. Yeah, I, I can see that. It seems like if you just started with the e-collar, while you'll eventually get to the destination, at least at first, it seems like there's more dots for the dog to connect. It's just like There is. Yeah, there's larger steps for them to figure out as opposed to you laying out something very simple for them. Yeah, there are larger spots. They're also, you know, for somebody who would try that their first time, I'd be cautious because you got to be careful too with what levels of stimulation. You may have to jump up or down. And if you're not really good with an e-collar, I'm not sure it'd be one that you'd want to start out with. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. So just kind of like what you're talking about on the – the amount just kind of adding more dots to connect on the dogs let's go into the no pressure method okay and and, and it may not even be fair with how i kind of led into that talking about how the way i perceive it and i understand it is it seems like it would be even worse in the no pressure method than the what you're just describing on the e-collar without any pressure you know no ear pinch no toe hitch no e-collar it seems like there are that many more dots to connect with the dog. And so automatically you get yourself in a position to where you're just going to have to compensate with that by, you know, doing a heck of a lot more reps. Is that fair to say in what you would understand about the no pressure method? Yeah, I would say that. Absolutely. 
you know, um, you know, and the last thing we want to do is we want to confuse the dog and for it to be prolonged. Yeah. I think that anybody that would argue that, you know, maybe you're not, you're not doing it for the right reasons. You know, we're, we're there with our buddy, um, you know, they're going to go hunting with us. Um, I think the, the best roadmap we can lay out in front of them so we don't confuse them. You know, they're relatively cooperative, most dogs, and they want to please, and they're trying. So if we can make those dots so they're tighter as opposed to farther apart, I just, I just find it a little more humane for them and quicker. And, and I think that's really interesting if we can kind of expand on that a little bit, because I would think that most of the people that kind of do the no pressure method, they're probably doing it out of the impression that they are being more humane. And with you and your, your years of experience, you're going the opposite way and claiming it to be less humane. So, you know, let's talk about how, why you think there's such divide on that. And I mean, I know that that's kind of a vague question. It's a very open-ended question if you really think about it, because it's kind of trying to put us in other people's mindset. But, you know, give me your theory on why people perceive the no pressure method as more humane when at the end of the day, you're really, you know, just having to do more reps and you're still using pressure. It's just spatial pressure on the dog as opposed to actual like physical pain, if that makes any sense. Sure. It's, you know, it, it comes down to a simple thing. I, I, and I, this is my belief, you know, this is my dog, Ralphie. I love Ralphie. I can't hurt Ralphie. I don't want him to feel any pain. I want a result just like any that the others are having, but I don't want him to feel any pain or any, you know, any unjust towards me. And I think that's where a lot of people come up short. That's, that's why I like putting my roadmap out, do the ear pinch, make it very brief, but very to the point. And then Ralphie gets it going forward. We have a better relationship because there's an understanding now that exists. When I give a command, there's some gravity and other stuff doesn't have gravity but that word has some gravity to it and it's over quick so as opposed to non-force you know this is a prolonged this could go on for months yeah in your years of doing this all the client dogs all your personal dogs has there ever been a dog that maybe like that you needed to do the no pressure one that couldn't withstand the the quick ear pinch or toe hitch you know is there some, is there ever a, a dog that you would say yes you probably should do a no pressure method you know all of the the dogs that um that either my own or dogs that i train for clients they are ear pinched i use my method and you know almost every single one of those dogs are tested by myself or the owner so you know he, here's here's a question we got to ask ourselves so do we want to prolong this thing? And there has to be a mechanism at some point, because if there's never any kind of pressure, um, a dog has the ability to do something or not do something. So let's say hypothetically, we want to pick up a duck on the water. So let's say if the dog has never experienced the pressure, what mechanism are we going to use if he refuses to pick up the duck so when you're testing 
you know, and a lot of people test and tests are good. It really proofs your dog and your training. But if you're testing, we don't have a mechanism in place to say, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you, you have to pick up the duck. Yeah. And it, it makes sense to me. It's just, you know, you get these people, they do it, they have some success. Do, do you, have you ever seen somebody that has done the non-pressure method? And I'm, I'm trying to be as fair as I can. Uh, you've seen a lot more dogs and a lot more people testing than I have by far. So are you familiar? Have you at least seen somebody that's done the non-pressure method that didn't have some sort of gap that appeared later, like you're describing, to where you need that mechanism at some point? You know. So, you know, and the one thing that really sticks out to me, and I'm sure there's other things, is uh, a blind retrieve, for instance. Yes. So the blind, the blind retrieve is not a visual. It doesn't see a bird shot and fall down. This is a command where you're sending a dog from point A to point B, whether it's out in the middle of the water in the cover where it's across the lake onto the far shore. To get a dog without any type of pressure to do that task is extremely difficult. Have I ever seen a dog do it? Yes. So I'm going to tell you about dogs that, that do that typically are super, super cooperative. There's not a lot of dogs that are that cooperative, that have that much natural retrieve, that will just take a blind, and you teach them a blind, you do the stardom on land, um, but it's more often than not, they're going to fall short, because it takes an extremely cooperative dog with a lot of natural retrieve to want to do those things without pressure. So, and if you put the mechanism in place, even if they are super cooperative, they know there's a task, it's got to be done, and it has to be done to a standard. Otherwise, there's not a consistency on, on the retrieve like it would be um, with pressure as opposed to without pressure. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say that's a, a fair assessment from my understanding. And again, I'm no expert on this stuff. I'm, I'm like the listeners. I'm here to learn from people like you that know better than me. And uh, Kyle, I mean, is there any other notes or important things that you say that a listener, especially a newbie, needs to consider when they're getting up on the force fetch table? Yeah, 100%. I tell every person in our novice chapter, um, I tell every person that gets um, in a puppy it, from us, if they get into a bind, you know, they're sending me little videos or attach yourself to somebody in your novice chapter or whatever uh, venue you train within somebody that has some experience, you know, it's, there's a lot of folks out there and uh, you know, attach yourself to somebody because, you know, I started this and I started this stuff on my own and you learn things as you go, but I'll tell you, you're far better off if you find somebody, you know, that knows what they're doing or, or has done it several times that has some personal experience about it attach yourself to them and say, Hey, do you mind being a mentor for me? And can you help me with questions that, cause you're going to run into some questions. So when I'm force fetching my dog, um, that I can go to. So if you could do that, it, you know, psychologically, it's actually a good thing. You know that you have help, but, um, and you can get through it much quicker that way. Uh huh. It's it's kind of like your own personal safety net on this, and and I've mentioned it on I think on the part one and part two of the series to where 
nowadays we all have cell phones and you know i'm not a fan of videotaping every single training session with everything you do on your dog and sending it to everybody just because it's you know it's a, it's a, it's time consuming for somebody to look at those videos and help you out but i think force fetch is one of the most beneficial types of training that you can utilize your cell phone to video and just look back and Believe it or not, like just by you watching yourself, even without the help or your safety net or, or your mentor in this process, so many people that I know that have done it have picked up that their timing is off. You know, when they're saying a command or pressure yeah. on, pressure off, just by watching themselves do it over and over again. Then when you do hit that pickle, you do hit that challenge that you can't come over, then you can send it to to the your mentor to your safety net and hopefully they can kind of guide you through but you also have video evidence to where let's face it we don't all live in the same area right true you know and i i would also suggest to someone is when you pick your mentor you know use use common sense and use good judgment but stay with that mentor don't like send your video out to six other people who train yes because you get pointed in different directions so who is the victim through all of that is your poor dog because you're going to cause more confusion um, because you may you may be trying different things that you haven't laid out for your dog and all of a sudden you're throwing new things and different ideas at them and you're going to cause confusion so you're going to cause a dog to maybe go backwards or start getting really stressed out and nobody wants to do that to ralphie <laughs> well and I, it goes back to like just ask yourself, be honest with yourself. Are you sending your video to somebody for affirmation that you're doing it right? Are you looking for a certain answer or are you truly having an issue that you don't know and you need help with? Because then that's that's where I find where somebody's just looking for a specific answer. They just keep sending it to different people until they get that right answer. But True. if you if you're stuck in a pickle and you need help, like you said, if you have that one mentor that you trust, that's that's why you kind of made them your safety net. Then you ask that one person and don't go to somebody else just because they tell you something that you don't like. Correct. Is there anything else? We kind of covered a lot of ground really quick on this one. But I mean, in, unless you have something else to add as far as pressure or even the timing or something, I think that that kind of wraps up everything I was wanting to hit on this episode. You know, I. I you know, I, my, my uh, suggestion is anybody there's, there's so many um, different venues of, you know, you have different organizations that test dogs and you have different chapters, you know, but there are so many good folks with good experience, you know, just for instance, if we would use NAVDA, the NAVDA chapters around my area, I can tell you, there's a lot of those people in each chapter that could be mentors. So, you know, when you join the chapter and um, you're involved, it won't take you long to figure out who those folks are and, you know, kind of stick with them, stay with them, um, you know, and let them help you with that. You know, you may be a little shy, but this isn't anything unusual. Everybody goes through force fetch their first time. And I'll tell you, I can remember t t today, that uh, 23 years ago, what my first force fetch session was like. You know, and, you know, the things that were racing through my mind, I don't want to hurt Ralphie. I love Ralphie. <laughs> we watch football on Sundays. We hunt all day Saturday and not want to watch football with me, you know. So the things that go through your mind isn't any different than we've all experienced. So attach yourself to one of those people and then just stick with it and, and work through it and, and you'll be fine. And then you'll actually laugh when it's over. 
Yeah, I, I think that's great advice. I do have to ask you one one question. Have you ever actually owned a dog named Ralphie? No, no. <laughs> I, th- I think you're just going to have to get your own dog and name it Ralphie at some point, just so that this, so, so it all lines up together. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, Kyle, I definitely appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know you have a ton of dogs to train and you have your own life to enjoy and everything. But again, thanks for coming on. And and real quick, if somebody wants to get a get a hold of you for you know lining up training, ask your advice, line you up for a clinic or something, where can they get a hold of you? I have a website, Schwartzwald kennels.com and you can go on there i have an email that's on there um you know i i get people asking tips for training um all the time and i certainly don't mind at all i do go get around to different locations and i do you know organize training seminars and um you know heck if uh, it's something that interested you and you know if you're looking to do force fetch am i going to be in your area i like i i have some things planned where i will be i could tell you and then maybe you can attend or i'd walk you through stuff you know online as best as i can so i've had many discussions with people and you know on on little steps where they were stuck they didn't have help and uh you know, and, and I'm fine doing that. One of those events in the area that you're going to be at is our training camp, May 6th through 8th, up at yep. Clayton, New York, at Mark and Martha's. And you're not going to be doing force fetch. You'll be doing your steadiness. But that doesn't mean that you can't answer force fetch questions on the side, right? <laughs> That's certainly true. That's right. And there's usually uh, a dog or two around. We won't put them through anything traumatic, I promise. But, uh, you know, we can do an illustration on the side real quick, real easy. It's not complicated. It's dogs, you know. Well, that's easy for you to say. You've been doing it long enough. And hopefully one day, at me and along along with all the other listeners, we can view at the same point to where it's not complicated. It's just dogs. Yes, that's correct. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, everybody. The special guest outro uh, is Donald Tindall, my buddy Donnie from North Carolina. Donnie, appreciate you coming on and sharing your thoughts and and, uh, reactions to the the episode with Kyle Huff on pressure. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. You know, anybody that's been in NAVDA for any amount of time has heard of Kyle Huff. So. he's a staple in that and and that's really interesting because it's like kyle huff you know in in today's day and age when you have social media and and all these online resources that everybody's used to you really don't hear a lot about kyle until you get into the navder world and then it's just like it He's one of the the epitomes in the dog training world to where it's kind of word by mouth. I don't know if you do you feel the same way as as me on that to where it's just like you don't really know about him until you hear about him from somebody in Navda, and then it's like all you hear about is Kyle. Yeah, that's that's exactly how it went for me. I I, I don't even know if I've ever actually met him. <laughs> um, I mean, I may have, but I've heard a lot about him, and he is a 
an awesome dog trainer from all accounts. Yeah, especially on steadiness. You know, I, I think I alluded to it on the episode uh, that I did with him to where like more so I hear more about his interaction and, and qualities as a dog trainer when it comes uh, in regards to steadiness. But as you can hear in this episode, and one thing I found when I was talking to him and some other people that were recommending him for this series is he does he does put a lot of dogs through force fetch and you know for for a handler that does as much in the invitational as he does uh you know it's it's kind of common sense if you think about it i just never really thought about it because you're always used to just hearing kyle huff in regards to steadiness yeah yeah so what was your reaction what were you expecting when i told you what this episode was about and I sent you the link to listen to it so we could do this outro. What were you expecting going into it? And then what did you come away with it? Well, I'm going into it. I'm like, yeah, I've tried to ear pinch. I've used it. It works. And, but I felt like the toe hitch was a better situation um, for me. But after listening to it and hearing his takes on it and the way he looks at it, and I've never heard of the bottle cap, by the way, I've never heard of that. So, and that makes more sense. It's awful hard to try to use that fingernail. And I always use the rivet, you know, on the tag to, to do it or, uh, um, the buckle itself to give you the pressure yeah. on the collar. But I, after listening to it, you know, I've got Jasper to, you know, my male Brittany that I messed up force fetching. I believe I'm going to go through it again, start out with ear pinch and go through the system and see if I can't make it work. Um, doing it that way. So, uh, I have to listen to it. Um, comparison wise between toe hitch and ear pants, you know, you get the dogs that are a little more apt to nip towards the pressure and your hands like right there by their head, <laughs> you know? Yep. So, and the whole point is, yeah, okay. You put the pressure on like the first time you apply it, but you know, you get that kind of like they open their mouth, kind of turn it towards your hand. You throw the buck in their mouth and you let the pressure off, you know? And, and that's kind of how you try to get them into understanding pressure on pressure off well toe hitch your hands away from where they're nipping at you know they're going to the line on their toes and you know you put the bumper down there so it's kind of like i guess it's like if you're quick and very very experienced um with the ear pinch i believe you can let the pressure off quicker with ear pinch like he says i agree with that 100 percent. and like i said i haven't done hardly any dogs compared to him you know so toe hitch i have seen the issue where when you do pull on it um if you don't have the right line and you don't have the hitch in there right the pressure doesn't release instantly yeah you know? and a lot of people don't make sure they do that <laughs> so that's probably where people have issues with toe hitch i was about to say that's been my main you know when i'm talking to people and and, and seeing some people that are doing the toe hitch that's been the main drawback that I've heard from other people is the instantaneous pressure off. And like you said, you know, when you talk to somebody or see somebody that does it that's that's really versed in it and understands it, they'll even tell you the importance of having the right thickness cord and the the hitch uh, half hitch on that string having that accurate to where when you want that pressure to come off, it immediately goes off. That's what you're after to where you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. If you don't take the time with the right thickness cord 
and uh, doing the not the correct way. Is is that been your experience? Because I think you said that you've you've been through it at least once, right? Yeah, uh, I had the same issue. I was using the wrong size cord, the wrong style of cord, and it wasn't until Blake showed me. Uh, Blake Horst, he's, he uses the toe hitch religiously. Um, it wasn't until he showed me the proper type of cord, and I can't even remember what it was. I just bought what he showed me to get. But. <laughs> proper style of cord i think i was using like a paracord or something but it, it has to be more of a poly type cord that will not cinch up on itself too tight you know yeah and uh he just you know he showed me he's like no nah, man he said you're using the wrong kind of cord he said uh your hitch is too tight you got to hitch in the wrong position but once he showed it to me yeah okay it released quick um i think it's six one way half a dozen another um, yeah i believe when you go to the toe hitch transitioning from taking it out of your hand to the table might be a little quicker because they're going to naturally take their head down to the table. You know, um, that's the only way that I can see with the transition wise that toe hitch might be superior to ear pinch after listening to Kyle's take on it, you know, and I'm thinking when I go to the bottle cap and I'm assuming it's a plastic bottle cap, um, but it, it didn't specify, but I'm assuming a plastic bottle cap, you can get better pressure, more even pressure, and it's a little easier to control. Yeah. Yeah. And then you also, I mean, you're so used to having that bottle cap or, or your thumb underneath the uh, the ear that it does make the transition of the e-collar a little bit easier when you have that remote just on the other side of the ear and you're using that thumb, the same placement on the ear that you have, whether you're using your thumbnail, the bottle cap trick, whatever, uh, you're, you're hitting it at the same exact place and you're just hitting that button on the e-collar, right? So it's like that that overlay when you get to that point seems that much easier. And I do know that on the toe hitch, you can still handle it to where you're doing the, the uh, string and remote in the same hand. I've seen it done competently, but like like you experience, unless you have a good understanding of what type of rope and not to use and make sure it doesn't cinch up, uh, you might be... It, it might be a little rougher than what, you know, anybody can just go do with the ear pinch. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Um, that's what kind of sold me on the toe hitch um, because of being able to put the remote in that string hand, you know, and, and you can handle that buck or bumper or whatever you're using, um, you know, single handed. It kind of, it's almost like it freed your hand up, but listening to Kyle talking about you're using, you know, you're pushing the button as you're pushing the ear. I mean, you can't get more instant pressure wise that way <laughs> you know even when you're pulling that line there's going to be a delay between the time that line actually puts the pressure on the toes and the time you're hitting the button how do you know 100 percent when the pressure is enough on the toes when the dog reacts and then you're going to hit the e-collar after that or do you do it beforehand you know there's going to be a delay one way or the other with doing it under the finger under the ear doing the ear pitch it's together instant you know and that's that that's a game changer for me i I never considered it never knew it um knew that process well you'll have to let me know once you try it again if if it is easier or as beneficial as what you're making it out to be but you know i'm with you it's like the the more people that you get to see do this in person and and hear their methods the better you can kind of piecemeal and put this jigsaw puzzle together to what works well for you and your dog and i'm hoping that's what everybody's getting out of this this overall force fetch series but more specifically this episode that we're we're discussing 
is, you know, the main thing I was wanting to get across to people is it, it ultimately doesn't matter on the type of pressure. The pressure is the pressure. And right. going back to the the hold and carry with uh, Mark Whalen and then, you know, talking about pressure with Kyle, it's it's such a small section of force fetch if you do the entire program and hold and carry and the foundational steps all the way up to this there's not that many steps that requires the pressure it's it's there you need it but at the same time if you build up to it it's not as severe as what a lot of people make it out to be i agree and you know i was one of those that followed the system to where you keep applying pressure until they realize okay then it's going to stop. Then there was no limit to the pressure you applied. Yeah. So that's that's not a good system. <laughs> you know, if, if you if you keep having to tune it up, you're, something's wrong. Exactly. Exactly. So tell me while you're listening to it, when you got all the way through, was there anything glaring to you that we didn't mention or didn't discuss? Besides, I know I know you you hit me up offline and you asked more clarification about the bottle cap. Uh, you know whether it was a, a, I guess a pop bottle or uh, just a, a plastic cap from any old Coke or Dr Pepper or whatever. Uh, I'm assuming it's the plastic one. I've I've only heard a lot of people using it. I've never really seen it in in person, but it does make sense to where it's just like Kyle said, it's l- less pressure. You're just spreading it out and eat more evenly. So I do need to do a bigger dive because I know at first glance, the first time you hear it, it's like I'm not using a freaking bottle cap on my dog. But, you know, it's like when you really kind of dress it down and realize how many few times and reps that it should take, you know, maybe it's not the end of the world, but I, I want to see somebody do it in person and make sure that I, I'm I'm picturing it mentally the correct way. Besides that, was there anything else on the episode that you, left you with more questions or you thought that we should have hit on a little bit more? No. Um, and I may imagine for somebody that has, has not gone through force fetch yet, they would have a lot more questions. Um, me personally, I've gone through it a few times now and it's just each dog's different and it is a lot easier for handlers because they've seen so many different types of dogs, you know, and different, the way they act, the different personalities, the little cues they give. So, you know, as a first timer going into it, you really got to know your dog, take your time, I would say, and, uh, make sure you're reading it right. And if you do hit a hurdle back up, you know, take a step back, start over, you know, Yep. and you're constantly having to do that anyways. You know, you always got to end on a, a positive note so you're always you're backing up every time somewheres um if you hit a heart you hit a you know a roadblock you're going to take a step back and go back to what you was doing the day before and make sure that they have a good positive experience out of it and then you go back into it again exactly Yep. It, it, it's too simple. I mean, really, when you talk about it, I know as a first time handler, somebody's out there like, it can't be that simple. And it's like, no, no, it, it kind of is. Like, if you really just take your time, plan this stuff out. And, and the word that I keep coming back to when I'm helping people is be intentional. Be intentional with your timing. Be intentional with your pressure. Be intentional with with everything from your routine to, to your setup. Just be intentional sit down, think about it before you go do it, and you're going to be better off. It's it's not that big of a deal if you truly understand the the overall principles of, of this. And you don't just go hop on a table and like, ah, you know, we're going to figure this out as we go along. You're going to be doing this by the time we're done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's, it's always a rush. It's always first time handlers. I was the same way. Um, get in a hurry. You see the dog progressing so quick and you just keep pushing, 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 you yeah. know, and, and this is one of those areas that maybe you shouldn't do that. Um, not even maybe you really should not do that. You yeah. Know? Yep. And I did it myself. So, yep. And, and that's kind of why I wanted to get you on is you, you've, you've gone through force fetch a couple of times, but you've done it. You've done again, the ear pitch, you've done the toe hitch. Now you're going back to the ear pinch, but you also overlay the collar. I mean, those are your, th- your, your main pressure uh, methods. Uh, as we talked about in the episode, some people don't use, any of those pressure methods, uh, right. you know, give me your thoughts on that. Is this a normal everyday average handler? I mean, you know, be as honest or, uh, as, uh, reserved as you want to be on this topic. Cause I know it can kind of be touchy. So I'll, I'll let you kind of decide how far you want to go with that one. The topic of using pressure versus non-pressure. Yes. Um, I believe in probably 80% of the dogs, you can do it without hardly any kind of physical pressure. Um, you, most people are still using some type of verbal pressure though, you know, and I have seen people do it with treats and stuff like that. But, you know, me personally, I would not want a dog that would retrieve and be looking for a treat afterwards. I want the retrieve to be their reward, not the treat afterwards. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and that's just my opinion, you know, um, if other people that's what they're wanting from their dog that's you know their obligation so yeah. uh, i do believe by using pressure you can probably get through the process a little bit quicker but then there's going to be dogs where you probably can't put hardly any pressure at all on and get them through it so it just depends on the dog depends on what the handler is willing to do and how much time they got to put into it yeah yeah no i agree well don man i gotta hit on some housekeeping things real quick and we'll wrap this up uh First thing coming up real quick is the training camp, May 6th through 8th up in Clayton, New York. It's at Mark and Martha's at Webfoot Kennels. We do have some slots still available, at least by the time that we're recording this a couple weeks early. Uh, so if you're wanting in on it, don't wait. Hit us up. Uh, there's There's been people asking a lot, a lot of questions on uh, what's going to be handled there. Uh, Don, you, you were there at the last, last year's training camp do you want to kind of give a, a quick spiel for me and then that way i don't have to do it the you know during housekeeping right now oh yeah um just martha mark and martha alone what they put on about steadiness it's way more than just being steady in the field i mean they're starting from pups using the chain gang using hardly no pressure it's teaching the dogs you know how to be patient and calm and how to be connected with you. I mean, the, the process they go through, I watched a dog that I know was wide open and a young lady handling them from what she learned from that clinic to what that dog is today is night and day. And I get to see that dog run about once a month. And he is an amazing wire hair and she has done an awesome job with him using what she learned at that clinic. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, Mark and Martha, they did steadiness when you were there. They're doing force fetch this year. Uh, Scott's coming up. He's doing obedience and Kyle Huff, who was on this episode, he's, he's going and he's doing the steadiness that we were talking about earlier. 
and it's uh you know a lot of people when you go to a clinic or seminar in this gun dog world if you're not familiar you're getting an entire weekend from one person's perspective and their methods on everything and i think this is a little unique you're getting numerous people's perspectives and methods depending on what they're talking about so this is kind of a game changer and you're gonna see that the overall principles of dog training are the same regardless of which method you use and so that's why i think it's so beneficial for everybody to come to especially if you're a first-time handler or you don't even have your dog we had numerous people there last year that didn't have dogs and they paid for observer slots and they just had that that head start for when they got their dog the the coming year and uh so it's it's one of those things i think it's a great deal i think it's kind of it's it's different than what your normal clinic and seminar would be and if you're at all interested don't wait let us know uh we do still have a couple slots of the patreon rate as well as a non-patron and again we do have some auditors or observer roles uh if you're interested in that as well uh try not to let these gas prices get in your way i mean that's pretty much been the main deterrent i get a lot of people asking questions on the clinic uh donald you live in the world that we do gas is what it is do you still think that it would be a uh a benefit to uh pay that additional cost and getting there and attending this seminar i say for anybody it's worth twice what they're going to have to pay in gas (laughs) that is no reason to not go um you know i wish i could be there but i've got obligations that are keeping me from it um it's not really the gas, you know, <laughs> um, and you're, where else are you going to go and get this prevalent, I can't even say it, but this good group of experience that's going to be there. Uh, it's amazing. And then after the clinic's over, you got, you know, it's everybody just picking each other's brains. And then you got, you know, the handlers that's got less experience than these trainers and they're asking questions and you're getting, you know, three opinions on how to do it. And they're, you know, talking back and forth on, you know, what your situation might be. And it's, it's just amazing. Uh, I don't know how else to explain it. And I, I had a blast. I wish I could go again. <laughs> well, I'm not going to spend any more time on that. You're better at, at selling that than I am. But yeah, I mean, just just hit, hit us up, reach out to us if you're interested in a slot and, and I'll give you all the information that you need. Uh, the next thing up, Patreon guys, support us if you can. If, if you have, uh, you know, five bucks to throw our way, if you like this content you want to see where this is going we have a ton of ideas and stuff coming down the pipe that that i wish i could talk about now but it's one of those like we're really trying to build up to something here so if you are a member of patreon thank you for your support we wouldn't be here uh we're trying to upgrade equipment right now because of you guys uh we wouldn't be able to do that without patreon and if you haven't signed up you know take a look at it if there's something if you're looking at it and you're like you know what the the podcast or the patreon benefits aren't big enough for me we're trying to figure out how to bring more value to our patreon subscribers and give them something a a bigger thank you in return we do uh some small little giveaways here we do the occasional zoom room we have other ideas but if you have something specific in mind you know you're not going to hurt my feelings you can hit me up and be like hey you know what patreon doesn't really give me the benefits to warrant five or ten bucks a month 
but this would, you know, give me your ideas. We'd appreciate it. And if we can kind of filter that in and, and include that, we will. But uh, we don't know what we don't know. So if there's something that you have a good idea on that would be a benefit to Patreon, by all means, let me know. If you can't afford Patreon or you don't want to fool with it, you don't want to sign up for anything else, uh, you know, there are really simple, easy things that you can do for this podcast. Number one, hit that subscribe button. Number two, if it's a topic or a guest or uh, you have a training partner kind of that you're you're debating and arguing with on, you know, a certain topic and an episode kind of addresses that by all means hit that share button send that episode to the buddy or somebody that might get something out of it or help you prove a point or something you know i don't care if you're petty just uh but <laughs> do me a favor share that episode uh donnie you you've been one of the better ones uh supporting this podcast since day one you've been a patreon member forever you've shared the episode with numerous people and it's stuff like that that helps us grow oh yeah uh, i get more out of it than i put into it i guarantee you that <laughs> <laughs> And anybody that's sitting on the fence about going to this clinic, um, you'll get more out of it than you put into it, I promise you. No, I definitely appreciate it. Don, thanks again for coming on. I, I'm going to go ahead and close this out by reading the review of the re week. Again, something that's real quick, free to support the podcast if you don't want to go through Patreon or any of that other stuff. But if you just leave us a five-star rating and a review, uh, if we read it on air, let us know, and we'll be sure to shoot you a hat and sticker in the mail. And again, we thank everybody for taking their time and showing support of the podcast in one way or another. And with that being said, we're going to close it out with the review of the week. This is from Benelli Shooter on February 27th. Uh, really enjoy podcast profiles. This podcast has really hit its stride by putting out good content. The moderator asks great questions of his guests, which in turn provides good information to the listeners. I really like the podcast profiles of everyday gun dog owners telling their stories. Keep up the good work. Don, again, thanks for coming on and uh, you know giving your thoughts on the, the reaction to this episode. And man, we'll, we'll definitely be talking soon. All right. Well, I'm about ready for uh, bird season already. So <laughs> you got a long ways to go, man. <laughs> yeah, no, we got a lot of training between now and then. Though. Yep, absolutely, man. I appreciate it, and you have a good one. Thanks for listening to GDIY. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a moment to subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again, and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. 
Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.